Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. Well, welcome everybody to this session of Nothing But The Poem. Good afternoon or good morning or good evening, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Today we're going to be looking at a couple of poems by the African-American poet Ross Gay. So these were the poems that we looked at in uh, last month's Nothing But The Poem session. I'm going to read you his bio. Um, I don't normally read the biographies of the poets. In fact, the way in which Nothing But The Poem works Um, You should, in a way, not even know anything about the poet per se and just come to the poems uh, and read them and respond to them in the moment. But he has such a nice bio uh, and I wanted you to hear the names, the titles of his books so that that would set the scene and set some context for the poems that we're going to listen to and read today. So Ross Gay is the author of four books of poetry, Against Which, Bringing the Shovel Down, Beholding, and Catalogue of Unabashed Gratitude. His first collection of essays, The Book of Delights, was released in 2019 and was a New York Times bestseller. And his new collection of essays is called Inciting Joy. And what I wanted you to hear there, just with the names of the essay collections and the poetry collections, is that this is a poet who focuses on joy. On his website, on the on the landing page, it says, Ross Gay is interested in joy. Ross Gay wants to understand joy. Ross Gay is curious about joy. Ross Gay studies joy. Something like that. And this was one of the reasons I wanted to choose Ross Gay's work for us to work with in the Nothing But The Poem sessions, because this is a poet who manages to balance the paradox of joy and sorrow manages to work through kind of violence, racism, the contemporary issues in which he is placed, in which we're all placed, and still manages to find joy in all of the horrors that we face on a daily basis. So let's go into some of the poems. We were, in the session, we managed to look at three, but today we're going to listen to two of the poems that we discussed and then I'll open them up a bit, remind myself and introduce to you what the participants in the session thought about, thought about with the poems. And as I'm reading them, please feel free to uh, jot down some ideas, jot down your, your own responses. What is it like to hear a poem for the first time? Hopefully, perhaps this will be the first time you've heard these poems. And as you listen, jot down some ideas or jot down some of the images and metaphors that really strike you. It's that first listen when you get that first spark of inspiration on to how to interpret what's going on. So, yeah, maybe get out a pen and paper. Maybe you've got your phone on. Maybe you've got your notes app open. Just use this as a, a chance to respond creatively. The poems themselves are also available on the Poetry website. I should say that the American Poetry magazine, um, Poetry, on their website, they have an incredible treasure trove poems. Um, and if you go on there and put in Ross Gay's name, 
you'll find these poems. So you can actually see the text as well if you go there. But this was the first poem that we looked at. And it's called Poem to My Child, If Ever You Shall Be. And it's after Steve Scafidi. The way the universe sat waiting to become, quietly, in the nether of space and time, you too remain some cellular snuggle, dangling between my legs, curled in the warm swim of my mostly quietest self. If you come to be, and who knows, I wonder, little bubble of unbudded capillaries, little one ever a swirl in my vascular galaxies, what would you think of this world which turns itself steadily into an oblivion that hurts, and hurts bad? Would you curse me, my careless caressing you into this world, or would you rise up and, mustering all your strength into that tiny throat which one day, no doubt, would grow big and strong, scream and scream and scream until you break the back of one injustice, or at least get to your knees to kiss back to life some roadkill? I have so many questions for you, for you are closer to me than anyone has ever been, tumbling as you are this second, through my heart's every chamber, your teeny mouth singing along with the half-broke workhorse's steady boom and gasp. And since we're talking today, I should tell you, though I know you sneak a peek sometimes through your father's eyes, it's a glorious day, and there are millions of leaves collecting against the curbs, and they're the most delicate shade of gold we've ever seen, and must favour the transparent wings of the angels you're swimming with, little angel. And as to your mother, well, I don't know, but my guess is that lilac bursts from her throat, and she is both honeybee and wasp, and some kind of moan to boot, and probably she dances in the morning, but who knows. You'll swim beneath that bridge if it comes. For now let me call you about the bush, called Honeysuckle, that the sad call a weed and how you could push your little sun-licked face into the throngs and breathe and breathe. Sweetness would be your name, and you would wonder why four of your teeth are so sharp and the tiny mountain range of your knuckles so hard. And you would throw back your head and open your mouth at the cows lowing their human songs in the field and the pigs swimming in shit and clover and everything on this earth, little dreamer. Little dreamer of the new world, holy, every raindrop and sand grain and blade of grass, worthy of gasp and joy and love, tiny shaman, tiny blood thrust, tiny trillion cells trilling and trilling, little dreamer, little hard hat, little heartbeat, little best of me. So that's the poem entitled Poem to My Child, If Ever You Shall Be. And we were struck as a group quite um, quickly by that title, that address, um, Poem to My Child, is on its face not um, too radical or interesting a title, but once the poet adds, if ever you shall be, it opens up this whole vista of imaginative writing and imaginative work, this sense that it's addressed to not necessarily a real child, or um, it's more addressed to a potential, the potential of a child. And we were struck by how the poet manages to open up this cosmic kind of setting, the way the universe sat waiting to become quietly in the nether of space and time, as if in this 
um, fecundity and this profundity and of potential, the cosmic becomes the personal. The cosmic becomes embodied in this cellular snuggle that dangles between my legs, as the poet writes, curled in the warm swim of my mostly quietest self. So in a sense, it feels as if the poet is exploring that kind of miracle, the miracle of birth, but the in a somewhere between the sacred and the secular. As you heard, towards the end, he talks about holiness in a kind of throwaway, small sense, but at this in the in the opening of the poem he manages to bring together the kind of science of reproduction but also with the poetry of what is this going to mean and of course there's the poetic question in there um, which opens that up for the reader so it's an address with questions and I find that quite often I don't know about you but I find that with poems that are addressed to someone or something we place ourselves as readers almost in that address um, and we start to try and answer some of these questions or try and respond at least to some of these questions. And the poet is wandering. The poet is in a space of wonder but also wondering about um, how this is going to, if it ever shall be, how this child may come to be and what's it going to be like. And that question that so many parents must ask themselves, what would you think of this world which turns itself steadily into an oblivion that hurts and hurts bad? This responsibility of bringing another self into the world preys on the, on the poet's mind and preys on the mind of the reader as well. That kind of sense of why and how and would you bring a child into this, into this world that or an oblivion that hurts and hurts bad. But the thrust of the poem, there's so much energy in there that the that rather than answer the, the question that is set by the poet kind of boldly, he, he lets the poem itself answer the question. And the poem the poem rushes through through its couplets. And as you heard when I was reading it there, that kind of gets quicker and quicker and more full of energy and passion as we get towards the end. So with this conversational tone, it has a conversational tone which kind of allows for this sense that the poet is daydreaming um, and imagining what, what might come to be with a kind of whimsy, but he's not idealistic. This is not an idealistic poem. Would you curse me, my careless caressing you into this world? Or would you rise up and mustering all your strength into that tiny throat which one day no doubt would grow big and strong, scream and scream and scream until you break the back of one injustice. So although there is that sense of the miraculous nature of birth and coming to be, there is still that attention to injustice and the kind of horrors of of the world that um, this little one is coming into. But during the Nothing But The Poem group meeting one of the things that one of the participants said in particular was um, how this conversational tone um, kind of lightens the poem in many ways. This, it's as I say, it's addressed to the 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 one who's coming to be, but there's still that questioning tone. But there's also that conversational element where 
little little kind of asides come in and question marks come in, which just gives breathing space in the poem, and particularly in that rush of images and kind of thoughts. There's just there is quite there is still room to breathe in there. That line, and since we're talking today, I should tell you, though I know you sneak a peek sometimes through your father's eyes, it's a glorious day. That really struck one of the participants as a way of thinking about that way in which we often talk to internally, perhaps, um, or we make an address to other people in our imagination um, and that sense of closeness and intimacy that this being is so close and kind of created from, from the poet that they can sneak a peek sometimes through the poet's eyes. And then there's that responsibility again. It's up to the, the father here to make sure that this, this um, baby who might come to be notes that it's a glorious day and there are millions of leaves collecting against the curbs. One of the things that comes through, again, a bit of biography of the poet is that he's very interested in gardening, both in a kind of personal sense, but in a communitarian sense, and that it's in the garden that we learn how to cultivate life and grow good things for for eating but also where we grow community and where people come together around that kind of common activity and common work of gardening and that definitely comes through you don't need to know that necessarily that's in his bio but you can tell that there's this kind of attentiveness to the natural world in the lines for now let me tell you about the bush called honeysuckle that the sad call a weed, and how you could push your little sun-licked face into the throngs and breathe and breathe. So there's definitely a sense there of how um, important it is to relate to the natural world, and this is going to be something that um, this father, perhaps to be, is going to help to to educate the child in. Throughout, as I said, the poem's written in couplets, but there's lots and lots of um, internal rhyme um, and assonance uh, and alliterative word choice which gives it this drive it really gives it this positive thrust that goes forward and and rushes forward as i say towards the end where you would throw back your head and open your mouth as the cows lowing their human songs in the field and the pigs swimming in shit and clover and everything on this earth little dreamer little dreamer of the new world Holy, every raindrop and sand grain and blade of grass, worthy of gasp and joy and love. And so it goes on. Again, in our, in our discussions, we got a quite positive echo of Blake in there, William Blake, um, with the sand grain and the raindrop. Again, that attentiveness to every single thing that is in creation here um, is part of this worthiness of gasp and joy and love. And the poet is unabashed in their focus on that joy, even with the tiny trillion cells trilling and trilling. This is still something that's worth celebrating um, and worth writing such a kind of um, liveliness and joyfulness around the process. So that's just a kind of overview of some of the things that were discussed in that poem. The poem itself is from a collection called Bringing the Shovel Down, but it's one of these 
poems that um, fits within uh, Roskay's work to highlight that paradox and that delicate balance between joy, the miraculous, and then injustice and oblivion and the kind of, as I say, the, the, the trials and tribulations of the world in which we live and the world which we are creating and have created. The final poem. I use this poem a lot in workshops and things um, where I quite like it to be a poem that we read together at the end. I'm quite a fan of when we've we've done poetry workshops or poetry readings together that we leave the room or leave the Zoom room or leave the podcast room on a positive, on a poem that uplifts. I think that's very important as we go out about our day to have an uplifting poem. And this one, Sorrow Is Not My Name, I think brilliantly brings together all of the things that we've been talking about already um, and is kind of emblematic of Roskay's work and I'd really recommend seeking out more of his work and his essays as well. His, he writes short lyric essays that are kind of um, almost like diary entries but they um, really focus on the everyday seemingly mundane little joys that we can that we can bring out in uh, in our daily lives. So this one's called Sorrow Is Not My Name and it's after Gwendolyn Brooks. No matter the pull toward brink, no matter the florid deep sleep awaits, there is a time for everything. Look, just this morning a vulture nodded his red, grizzled head at me and I looked at him admiring the sickle of his beak. Then the wind kicked up and after arranging that good suit of feathers, he up and took off, just like that. And to boot, there are on this planet alone something like two million naturally occurring sweet things, some with names so generous as to kick the steel from my knees. Agave, persimmon, stickball, the purple okra I bought for two bucks at the market. Think of that. The long night, the skeleton in the mirror, the man behind me on the bus taking notes. Yeah, yeah. But look, my niece is running through a field calling my name. My neighbour sings like an angel and at the end of my block is a basketball court. I remember. My colour's green. I'm spring. Hopefully, as you were listening to that poem, you picked up on again that juxtaposition that Roskay is so good at where he puts together joyfulness and um, the two million naturally occurring sweet things alongside images like the vulture, which obviously traditionally is, a, I suppose, a cliche for death uh, with his sickle of his beak. But then he's wearing a good suit of feathers and he just ups and takes off. And you get that kind of conversational tone again where the poet just has interjections where he writes just like that or think of that. And we're addressed again. We're being written to and talked to. And that's such an attractive trait, I think. I hope you agree. We have that kind of biblical resonance in that in the first lines, the first few lines, where there is a time for everything. It comes from uh, Ecclesiastes, 
the famous famous line like that yeah but kind of throwing in that kind of the music of that just again fills out the the context of where this poem is going to go it's basically going to go for everything it's going to introduce everything and that's the miraculous element there and then the everydayness of agave persimmon stickball the purple okra that i bought for two bucks at the market and maybe some of these things we hadn't heard of when we were talking about this in the group um that list and especially in poems that use lists as a as a way of constructing themselves that list of things that seemingly are quite exotic for us perhaps agave and persimmon are kind of are much more everyday for for the poet down at the market and that choice that word choice um is really important to again get that balance of surprise exoticism but also everydayness and that's what the poet is trying to handle and and manages so well in this poem one image that struck the group and we we spent a bit of time on was that seemingly quite ominous image of that's prepared for in the lines the long night the skeleton in the mirror the man behind me on the bus taking notes yeah yeah we were struck by that because it feels like who is this who is this man behind the the poet behind the taking notes on the bus and really yeah we got a real sense of as i say a kind of ominous um being looked at being policed in some way by a, by somebody on the bus but then the poet's not bothered the poet doesn't seem to be bothered at this point uh, and there's just these yeah yeah kind of like this is not going to diminish the joy that the poet's um, going to get from uh, the next few lines which is my niece running through a field calling my name and the neighbor singing like an angel and the basketball court and the color green and becoming spring so i think in all of these discussions we kept coming back to the way in which the poet manages the to still write beautifully around joy but not a cheap not a cheap sense of joy it's a hard won joy because hard won through both of these poems that are very aware of how precarious joy and happiness can be um and what's always kind of haunting them in many ways the man behind me on the bus taking notes in this poem or in poem to my child if ever you shall be those injustices that make the child scream and scream and scream and that's what's so strong about these these poems and Roscoe's work in particular where the joy that he writes about is as i say is hard won but it's all the more resonant and real for that. So yeah, those were the two poems that I wanted to introduce you to today. Whether you'd agree whether you agreed with everything I said or not, as the case may be, go seek out more of Ross's work and see what you think. See what you think about reading more of it and whether this paradox of joy and suffering and um trial, tribulation and miraculous happiness and everyday wonder runs throughout his work and how that's handled i think you will very much enjoy seeking out more of his work so yeah that was our nothing but the poem group we have another one coming up next month 
If you want to join in with us, you can join the Scottish Poetry Library as a friend. And then this, we email out who we're going to be reading and I email out links to the poet's work and then we come together on Zoom so you can be anywhere, anywhere that you're listening to this. You, we can, you can come in and we can read together and play with interpretation together. And it's a very, very good thing to do on a Friday afternoon. But for now, thanks very much for listening. And I will speak to you again very soon. Goodbye. Thank you.